and there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to yet another scintillating installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. From high above all other pure mile and its forms of Wyoming mainstream media, this is Cowboy State Politics. I, of course, am your illustrious host, David Iverson, firmly ensconced behind the silver Cowboy State Politics microphone, and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns. Whoops, we're not at the base of the Bighorns. We're in the depths of the Middle Swamp in Wyoming's capital of Cheyenne. Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. As you no doubt can tell, I'm still a wee bit under the weather, but the show must go on. There can be no exceptions. It's true, the way I was raised, my friends, is that no matter what, you had to try to get to work. If it was physically possible for you to go to work, you did it. And now it seems we're having problems with establishing a stable workforce. You see, evidently, and this is probably one of the results of COVID, is that now if you feel even the slightest bit crappy, you stay home and you don't go to work. Well, okay, so you might transmit COVID to your to your uh, co-workers, but the truth is, I mean, this whole COVID thing has contributed to our our workplace problems that we're having right now. You see, so many people can work from home and they don't have to go into the office that now it's no big deal to call into work. The way I was raised, if you called into work, you, either, you better be at the hospital. Or if not, you're going to lose your job. Now, the other thing that, that has... Uh, there was a benefit of COVID, is that all of our politics are now online. Now, if you didn't know it, in Wyoming, you can watch every single proceeding of the Wyoming legislature on YouTube. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's a tremendous asset. So if you can't make it down to the far southeastern corner of the state, well, you can just turn on YouTube and you can see what all these jokers are doing down here. I, of course, decided to move down to the middle swamp for the duration of the legislature. And let me tell you why. You can't really tell exactly what's going on between the, behind the scenes on YouTube. Nope, you got to be there. And it's a good thing I was yesterday, my friends. Yesterday, I'm sitting up in the gallery of the Wyoming House of Representatives, and in walks Cynthia Lummis, Senator Cynthia Lummis, along with some Democrats, some very liberal members of the Republican Party, Redcoat Speaker of the House Albert Somers and Redcoat Cyrus Western from Sheridan followed her into minority office in the gallery. Now, they didn't invite any conservatives to the meeting, and I can't tell you what the meeting was about because, you know, they locked the door behind them. But the question is, why was Senator Cynthia Lummis in the Wyoming State House of Representatives unannounced and meeting with the Democrats? I have a couple of ideas to posit for you. The first of which is she knows her goose is cooked with conservatives. Now, even though the Fremont County Republican Party failed at censuring her or even sending her a strongly worded letter, she still knows that conservatives in the state of Wyoming are absolutely PO'd about her vote on the Destruction of Marriage Act. Yeah. Well, basically what that thing did, if you're unaware, is that it allowed the federal government into your marriage. You see, it specifically mandated that 
all marriages will be recognized as legal if they were performed in a state that recognized them as legal. So, for example, if uh, if a, a homosexual couple got married in some other state and they moved to Wyoming, well, that marriage would be recognized in Wyoming. Now, you might say, well, David, we already have gay marriage in Wyoming. No, my friends, we do not. We have civil unions that were mandated by a court ruling. We do not have gay marriage. And there's a big difference here, my friends. Marriage is a religious and civil ceremony. When you get married and you have the preacher conduct the uh, uh, the ceremony, it's, it's a ceremony before God and for, before your congregation. That's a big difference between a civil union. A civil union is you have a judge um, you know, giving you the vows and then you sign the contract. That's essentially what it is. Well, anyway, so the Structured of Marriage Act basically allowed the federal government into your marriage. Um, they're mandating what is marriage and what is not marriage. And Cynthia Lummis, Wyoming Senator Cynthia Lummis, voted for it. Now, that's one of the big reasons why Wyoming conservatives are pretty irritated with her. And it's probably also the reason why she snuck into the Wyoming Capitol yesterday unannounced. They didn't even announce it on the floor. And she went right into the minority office with Democrats, Redcoat Speaker of the House Albert Somers, and Redcoat Cyrus Western, who is the majority whip. I'll try to see it, see if I can find out exactly what she was doing there, but like I said, it was kept pretty well under wraps. We begin this morning talking about free speech, as we should all do. Now, there's a great article in The Blaze this morning entitled, The Left Never Really Cared About Free Speech. And it's absolutely the, tr the truth, my friends. The left only cares about free speech if it can be useful for them. Now, this I'll post this article at CowboyStatePolitics.com later on this afternoon. And it's, it's a great one. It explains exactly why um, the left in America only uses free speech when it suits their purposes. And they really don't care about it in principle. From the article, and I quote, ahem, ahem. Progressives are already certain that they are in possession of the truth because the left is not constantly worrying about obtaining the proper consensus for truth. They can focus their public actions on gaining and maintaining power necessary to perpetuate that truth. You see, my friends, conservatives and the left look at the world entirely differently. We do. For conservatives, we are we are actively engaged in explaining the truth to people. We don't, we don't think that the ends justify the means. In fact, we think that the journey getting toward a goal is at least as important as the goal itself. The left doesn't look at things like that. Um, the left believes that the ends always justify the means, which allows them to lie. And lying is okay with them because it furthers their end goal. Remember, the end goal justifies the means by which they get there. Back to the article. Many who oppose the left's ever-increasing demands for censorship are under the illusion that the blatant hypocrisy shown by the political movement that once championed free speech will eventually collapse uh, its credibility. This is, this is a failure, my friends. You can't look at it this way because the left's movement will never collapse with a lack of credibility because they don't have any credibility to begin with. Members of the intellectual dark web, that would be the, the intellectual folks on the left that you know, write all of these dumb articles and talking points that all the Democrats repeat all of the time, and the disenfranchised liberals they've ministered to labored under this belief. That fragile coalition has since fractured, and now they're talking about the right here, as it has become clear that even some of its own members valued their power and prestige over free speech and truth. See, this is important because when Lord Acton said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, he wasn't just speaking about the left. He was talking about both the left and the right. And if you need any evidence of this, just look to the United States Congress and think of Senator Mitch McConnell. Now, he claims to be a conservative and he claims to be a Republican, but how many times does he actually act like a Republican? Hardly ever, right? I mean, he, he and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are attached at the hip. It's his power that has corrupted him. The article continues. Sam Harris infamously declared that Donald Trump was so dangerous to the status quo that even if Hunter Biden had the corpses of dead children in his basement, that story should be censored so that billionaire Donald Trump would not win re-election. 
Once you've declared your own power more important than inquiry force, it is hard to return to platitudes of the importance of free speech. Okay, now free speech. This is a this is a concept that all of us all of us think that we understand, but very few of us do. When we look at the First Amendment, you have the right to say anything that you want, and so does everybody else. Now, of course, rights come with uh, um, restrictions. Okay, you can't have the absolute free freedom to say anything that you want. You know, we have laws against that. It's called uh, a couple of them are slander and libel. Right? You can't say things about people that are not true. Um, you know, there's also the principle that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And the reason you can't is because sometimes your speech poses a direct threat to others, you know, inciting a riot and those sorts of things. So last week, Democrat Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas introduced a bill that would criminalize the discussion of the Great Replacement and any other public speech that is deemed white supremacist. Now, a term the bill that the bill does not define because it is designed to be applied broadly and thoroughly abused. The act would make people like Tucker Carlson and many other right-wing commentators fugitives from just... You see, the left doesn't want free speech. They want to control speech. Now, that we had an example of this in the Wyoming legislature not that long ago. In fact, a little over a year and a half ago. And they were talking about a hate crime bill. Um, and, and they called it like a bias motivated crime bill, but really it's a hate crime. And when you, when you reduce it to its lowest terms, it is a bill to criminalize speech and thought that if you were thinking bad thoughts about the person you harmed, somehow that was more, a more egregious crime than the crime itself. So I've played this little soundbite for you a lot, but I want to just play it for you again, and then we'll talk about now, what you're going to hear is some U University of Wyoming students testifying at a committee hearing. It was the House Judiciary Committee um, back in 2021. Check this out. Since there aren't any anti-hate crime laws, they are very limited. Wyoming is one of three states that has no anti-hate crime laws. You would think a lynching that happened in this state would be the reason that an anti-hate crime bill was passed. But no, this state has a history of racism and hate crime. Do you want the state to be always to always be remembered by those same events that took place? It is 2021. It is time we change the state. How many times do we have to sit here and wait for you to do something to protect us legislation wise? You always push it away because you are biased by being mostly white and not accepting the fact that these laws weren't meant for you to ever ignore. We are tired of being ignored and pushed out because it doesn't fit your agenda. You are elected by the people to serve the people. We are the people. Why do you, people of color have to depend on white people to be protected? Why do we have to face our oppressors to be protected? Why do we have to beg to be protected? At this point, we might as well start calling all of y'all masses. Wow, huh? And that was the calm part. In that Judiciary Committee hearing, that University of Wyoming student dropped the N-word and the F-word repeatedly in the Wyoming Capitol. And probably one of the worst parts about it is the committee members didn't do anything about it, probably for fear of setting her off even more. But what should have happened is they should have explained to that young lady that that behavior was not appropriate in the Wyoming Capitol, and that if she wanted to testify, she absolutely had that right, but she had to do so within certain bounds. In, you know, in uh, the Wyoming capital, you have to maintain a certain level of decorum. You have to be respectful. And while it's okay to discuss any topics that you, that you want or you think are, are important, we have to do so within the bounds of free speech. Now, there's another side to this, that the only way that you can absolutely have free speech is that if you have the freedom to be offended. That's what I said, my friends. Really, when it all boils down to it, the only free speech that you have, really, is the freedom to be offended. That is, other people have to have the ability to say things that you don't like and that you find offensive. It's only in that principle that, that we are allowed to say anything else. We have to tolerate other speech that we might find offensive. But that's not what the Democrats want to do. They want to control speech through censorship. Quote from the article, the left is a coalition built around the power generated by dismantling existing social structures. Progressives drink deeply from the political energy that is released as each traditional social bond is broken and individuals are reordered into categories that are more easily manipulated by centralized power. Now, what they mean there is that the left uses free speech to further legitimize their power, to entrench their power and 
you know, to, and they do that through control. So the left has always been about the abolition of family, faith, property, and they've never been very good about hiding it. Free speech was never a core value for the left. It was simply a convenient vehicle for the furtherance of their agenda. Leftists may have spent a lot of time preaching about free speech in the past, but this was always in the service of forcing their ideology into the public consciousness. They were willing to adopt any rhetorical tool that allowed them to do so, and free speech simply happened to be the tactically uh, convenient tool at the time. You see, th those on the left, they talk about free speech all of the time, but they don't really want you to practice it. After the break, I'm going to give you some examples of what I'm talking about with free speech and how the left's conception of it really is very dangerous to our culture and our society. So let's get, um, like I said, let's get to our first break and then we'll talk about some examples. Cowboy State Politics is your source for fair, true journalism in the state of Wyoming. I know it's crazy to think that the most conservative state in the country only has one really conservative news outlet, and you're listening to it. Now, you can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There, you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of the program. If you're one of these guys that thinks that you're informed because you pay attention to the Wyoming press, well, what you need to do is go to CowboyStatePolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself and find out that you've been wrong all along. Yeah, I know. It's probably going to hurt your feelings, but sometimes that's necessary. Just ask the Redcoats. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And then every Thursday at 10 a.m., Cowboy State Politics Live. You know, the program you're listening to right now. I cover mostly national issues on the Thursday program. You know, the stuff that we don't get to at other points during the week. You can find the link to the live program at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. So check out all the Cowboy State Politics episodes every single week. And now, back to the program. The support of free speech by progressives has been inversely proportionate to their consolidation of power across American institutions, both public and private. The consolidation of power was always the end goal, and rhetorical appeal to the principle of free speech was always to be abandoned once victory was achieved. And so what the author is talking about here is that once they've achieved their end goal, then their adherence to free speech goes away. Now, there's, a great, there's been a lot of work done by Project Veritas on, on this subject as it relates to education. And recently, they released a video of a, uh, a, an education curriculum salesman explaining how his curriculum does indeed contain critical race theory, and he sold it to school districts um, surreptitiously. Now, this is, from, this is from The Blaze on January 18th, 2023. Quote, on Tuesday, Project Veritas released a video of an education specialist for himself as an evil salesman for violating Georgia laws by selling to school districts a curriculum that contained critical race theory teachings disguised as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, I'm sure many of you out there have heard that term DEI um, in, in reference to your own schools or the schools that your children attend. Veritas journalists captured undercover videos of Dr. Quentin Bostick admitting to selling a curriculum that violated Georgia's ban on critical race theory. Bostick, a former educator, had his teaching license revoked in 2017. In one of the videos, Bostick can be heard explaining, if you don't say the word critical race theory, you can technically teach it. So here's, one, here's an excerpt from that video. It takes a little bit to get going here. Maybe. Did you there don't we go. say the word for the race theory? You can technically teach it. And it's amazing how you've gotten the schools to purchase the curriculum. And they don't sell upon us. I always have a good salesman, but I'm also an evil salesman. Like, so bad. So the, the public schools have the state funding, right? They do. 
So the state is basically paying for your curriculum without knowing what's in it. Does your your curriculum have critical race theory in it? Yep. And the government doesn't know. And they, they have no clue. And I'm like, this is good. In order to make sure. Just a second, and we'll get back to it. But you heard what the, what the teacher was saying is that he said he tells these schools that what he's selling is great and that it's good and they need to buy it. Just a quick. Okay, hold on. Just a second. There we go. Uh, but he tells the schools that what he's selling is great and good, and he doesn't mention that it's straight up critical race theory. Now, I, I guess we should probably explain exactly what critical race theory is. Well, it's it comes out of the German... Um, German postmodern movement in that we have to have criticism of all social structures. And essentially, um, what it attempts to do is reduce everything to its lowest terms. And I'm not just talking about race, I'm talking about everything. But in returns, uh, in reference to critical race theory, everything is reduced to the subject of race. And so that it doesn't matter what's happening in society, it is always the result of race. Okay, so this started entering the United States in the 1940s. A lot of these leftist professors, and most of them were socialists, um, were chased out of Germany um, and Germany and Austria and um, out of Europe, and they ended up in American universities. And now these folks are the people that are writing education curriculum. So let's continue with the video. And I had to kind of fast forward a little bit, so we may have missed a little bit, but here we go. And they don't smell small enough. I always have a good salesman, but I'm also an evil salesman. Yeah, an evil like, salesman. Like, so bad. So the, the public schools have the state funding, right? They do. So the state is basically paying for your curriculum without knowing what's in it. Does your, your curriculum have critical race theory in it? Yep. And the government doesn't know. And they, they have no clue. And I'm like, this is in order to make sure it's under the radar, how do you this is DEI works? Schools in Georgia have your curriculum. So two districts actually. Okay, so you heard him say it. It's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in Wyoming, you should really ask your school, your school superintendents and your school boards if they are pushing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And my guess is they absolutely are. Now, they may not be no, I mean, it is Wyoming, and, you know, we tend to give our school districts the benefit of the doubt. I know in Johnson County, all of the all of the research I've done on all of this critical race theory and diversity and equity and inclusion, I found no evidence whatsoever that it's overtly being taught in Johnson County schools. And maybe perhaps Johnson County is the exception. But when you look at school districts like Natrona County, um, that's where the, the big library book controversy happened. And we're going to get to a little bit of that here in just a second. But they're they're absolutely teaching the equity part of it. Now, the equity comes from this idea of critical race theory, that everything boils down to race. And the, and the most important thing that we should do in education is force this view of equity. Let's continue with the soundbite. Um, in a Wait, your curriculum that is in the schools here in Georgia is just kindergarten? It's just kidding. One of just kindergarten. Yeah. That's so cool. So you make your CRT stuff is for sure. Kindergarten. It's so good. It's like he's like such an idiot. Like his wife is off some education. Okay, now what? Who he's referring to right there is um is Kemp from Georgia, uh, Brian Kemp, and he calls him quote. It's kind of hard to hear with all the background um uh, background noise from the restaurant, but he says um, Brian Kemp is an idiot. And Bostic added that if that if Kemp's wife, who's a former educator, found out about the illegal curriculum, he would be nailed. Okay. Here's another piece of it. Yeah. What was it wrong, teacher? What do you think she would do if she found out? There's no teeth. Oh, I would be nailed. Sure. What about those parents who might push back after hearing it? Yes. Not part of the system. I can't lose my I'm not gonna lose my job over it. Okay, when when the Undercover journalist says, what about the parents that are going to object to this? He says, who cares? I'm not going to lose my job. So all of these folks that are pushing this DEI and critical race theory, they really don't give two craps about what parents think because they know that once they get the curriculum into school districts, there's very little that we parents can do about it. Well, parents can do about it. I'm not a parent myself, but but you get the point. Let's continue. Happy, I'm going to be upset and I shared some knowledge. 
That's the work is gonna happen. My license is already gone, so what are you gonna do? So do you teach in schools now? I do. I still do, which is insane, right? Which is still insane. James O'Keefe here in Fulton County, Georgia. Quentin Bostick, who holds a PhD from Georgia State, is a former literacy educator who had his teaching license revoked around 2017. Quentin now works as a project manager for the teaching lab with a $15 million budget dedicated to creating more equitable curriculums. Bostick is now on his own selling curriculums he created to the state of Georgia. He admitted to having multiple private companies where he profits off the curriculums that he sells. And it's amazing how you've gotten the schools to purchase a curriculum and they don't sell small enough. And they don't even know what's going on. Okay, well, that's the critical race theory part of it. But this whole, um, this whole method of pushing curriculum extends far beyond any idea of what you and I understand critical race theory to be. And one of the places it goes is is all of this LGBTQ um, transgender agenda. And it is an agenda. So in an article from The Blaze this morning entitled, Not All Students Who Menstruate Are Female, Democratic State Rep Tells Fellow Legislators. She's fed up, folks. So a Democratic Minnesota State Representative arguing against an amendment to a bill that would provide funding for menstrual products in students' restrooms told fellow legislators last week that not all students who menstruate are female. Now, you and I know that this is absolutely not true. Okay, uh, It's biology 101. If you have an XY chromosome, that's different than having an XX chromosome. And only one of those can menstruate. And the only way that you can menstruate is if you have a uterus. And the only people that have uteruses are females. So what are the details of this one? Well, Sandra Feist, who's this Democratic representative, introduced a menstrual equity bill, which is aimed at providing all students with access to menstrual products, the outlet said. Amid a January 11th education policy hearing, Feist fired off a list of reasons why she believes the amendment is making the products available in female restrooms as opposed to restrooms for both genders shouldn't be supported. Now, here it is. You're, you're going to love this. I encourage uh, the community to vote no on this amendment um, for a few reasons, um, practical, financial, social, emotional. Um, first, uh, there are a lot of schools that are moving towards gender-neutral bathrooms. And if we add female, we might sleep very quickly. Um, second, not all students who menstruate are female. Um, we need to make sure that all students have access to these products. Um, there are obviously less um, non-female menstruating students, and therefore their usage will be much lower. And that was actually um, calculated into the cost of this um, and how much we decided to fund it. And so we, we do not expect that the non-female... Okay, okay, I can't tell that. Well, the whole point here is that this DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, it doesn't just stop at critical race theory. It goes, it's pushed into this LGBTQI, whatever it is, agenda. And they're using it to push ideas that are not fact whatsoever. I mean, think about this, my friends. You, you send your kid to school and they're in social studies and they're told all of this bull crap about how there's 20 or 72 genders or whatever it is. And they can walk right down the hallway to the biology lab and disprove everything that that teacher ever told them. Well, it's because this is part of a social agenda. Now, how are folks re were reacting to this Feist lady? Well, as you might expect, many of those reacting on Twitter to Feist's insistence that not all students who menstruate are female were not gentle. Here's a couple of examples. Quote, the problem with this nonsense is that everyone speaks as if it's scientific fact when it's not. One commentator wrote, if you menstruate, you're a biological female. That's a fact. That is science. The rest of it is people just pretending and playing make-believe. Here's another one. Um, it's the chromosomes one that I mentioned uh, before. Uh, there's another one. Show me an actual man who menstruates and needs tampons. If you can show me that, I'll shut up. Another commentator noted, but you can't. It will never happen. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. Now, see, this whole idea of breaking down existing social structures entrenches the left's power. That's what we started the the program with. And so they have to break down what what most of us consider to be reality. 
and that and if they can convince you that the things that are scientific facts are not facts anymore then they can they can convince you of anything you know it would be far easier to to convince you that socialism works if they can first convince you that men can be women and women can be men you see what i'm getting at my friends that it's an absolute breakdown of our social structures and the things that we know to be right and wrong Another article that showed up in the Federalist last week, and I meant to get the get this get to this one on last week's installment of Cowboys State Politics Live, um, but this one is entitled "America Should Follow Europe in Treating Gender Confused Kids." Because we started with um, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and critical race theory, and then it moved to the transgender agenda, and now we're at a place where we're actually permanently disfiguring children because of that of that social agenda and we'll get to this um, right after the break we'll get back to the program in just a few seconds but first a completely obscene profit timeout cowboy state politics is brought to you by the company that makes the warmest socks that i've ever worn the buffalo wool company this morning here at Cowboy State Politics Central Command, it was a shocking 12 degrees. That's 12. Not 21, not 72, 12. I went out to start my car so I could run and get something for breakfast, and I may have been out there 30 seconds. And my entire body was cold. I even had my winter coat on and my gloves. But the one part of me that was not cold was my feet. That's because I was wearing my new favorite socks, socks from the Buffalo Wool Company. As a matter of fact, as I transmit my voice from the silver cowboy state politics microphone through the interwebs to your ear, I'm wearing a pair of Buffalo Wool Company socks. Now, if you're like me and you have problems keeping your feet warm, you should really consider getting a pair of socks from the Buffalo Wool Company. You can go to their website, thebuffalowoolco.com. Trust me, you're not going to be disappointed. That's the Buffalo Wool Company. As you no doubt are keenly aware, I'm a fan of just about any Wyoming company. Just about, I said. And one of them you should really check out is New Trend Hats. They're a company that's based in Kemmerer. They make those hats with a really cool ponytail hole on top of them. And right now, they have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. Being as cold as it is, you definitely don't want your ears to get cold either. So go check out New Trend Hats. I'm sure you'll find one to keep those ears of yours nice and toasty warm. That's New Trend Hats. And now, back to the program. Fortunately, in Wyoming, we have legislators like Senator Charlie Scott. Senator Scott has a bill that's, I don't even think it's been heard in the legislature yet, but it's going to make performing surgeries, uh, transgender surgeries on minors, a felony offense in the state of Wyoming, as it absolutely should be. You see, my friends, your kids are not confused. They're impressionable. And in some cases, what is being done to them is child abuse, and we should treat it as such. So there's been a an ongoing movement among and quote unquote medical professionals in America to push what is known as gender affirming care. First of all, the words don't even make any sense. If you're affirming one's gender, that is your chromosomal assigned gender, uh, then you would be saying, well, you're a boy or you're a girl. This whole idea of gender affirming is contradictory at best. But this is a great article and it comes to us from the Federalist on, on January 6th. And America should follow Europe in treating gender-confused kids. Quote, Some European countries are using an unproven protocol tried in the Netherlands referred to as gender-affirming care. This experimental approach treats children who express discomfort with their sex with drugs such as puberty blockers or wrong sex hormones and surgeries such as mastectomies. Although there is no evidence that these hormonal and surgical changes to a child's body produce improved mental health outcomes, there is growing evidence of permanent physical damage, including loss of bone density, greater risk of disease, and infertility. Now, this is, these are things that all of us learned in biology class, that once, you, once puberty starts, everybody got a growth spurt. 
Now, some of our growth spurts weren't as big as others. I mean, that's why we have some people who are tall and some people who are short. Um, but a lot of your, your physical development happens in puberty. And when we're introducing hormonal hormones and you know puberty blockers and all of these experimental drugs, um, we're drastically we're drastically impeding the physical development of of these children. The article continues, countries such as Sweden, Finland, and England have made a clear U-turn away from some of these questionable protocols. After thoroughly reviewing the reliable evidence, these countries concluded that the risks of gender-affirming care far outweigh any potential benefits. Instead, they are returning to psychological and psychiatric care as the starting point for addressing gender confusion in children, a model known as watchful waiting, noting their gender dysphoria in teens could be, and weird, you're going to find this one a shocker, just a transient phase, which should, be, which should not be mishandled with radical life-altering drugs and surgeries. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a parent. I don't have children of my own, but I was a, uh, a, a stepdad for you know, 13 years. Um, and I can tell you that when my young son came to live with me, I mean, he was, you know, nine or 10 years old, he was autistic. And there were times where he pretended to be all sorts of different things. Most children do on any given time, a young child may pretend that they're a pony, but that doesn't mean that they're actually a pony. Young children often participate in tea time, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're that they're gay or that they're transsexual or anything. It means that they're a young child and that they have an imagination. Back to the article. Nationally, in the United States, however, the gender-affirming care model is emphatically pushed as the only acceptable standard of care. Some states rely on recommendations from the, quote, World Professional Association of Transgender Health. It's not a medical organization. It's an ideologically driven advocacy group. And prominent medical organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics promote gender-affirming care despite the majority of its members um, supporting more review and discussion, noting the lack of evidence-based science and raising persuasive findings that gender confusion has been clearly linked to other factors affecting children, including autism and social contagion. You see, we've moved away from the traditional uh, approach of raising children in favor of one that is championed by the political left. Political leftists that don't have any experience in raising children or in science. They're pushing an agenda. Now, remember where we started the program talking about free speech and that the left only uses free speech until its, until its uh, usefulness has ended. It's the same with science. All of us saw this during COVID. Trust the science. Don't question the science. Don't, don't question Anthony Fauci. You know, he is science. Okay, the reason they were doing that is the, quote, word science served their purposes, just like free speech, where we started the beginning of this episode. Quote, the best evidence actually shows that the majority of children, 61 to 98 percent, will will desist, and that word means stop identifying with the opposite sex, if allowed to progress normally through puberty. It also shows that so-called social transition, using different names and pronouns, actually causes 97.5% of children to persist in cross-sex identification, and that 96 to 98% of those who start on puberty blockers will move on to cross-sex hormones. So in other words, my friends, we are using something that is not science to push a political agenda that permanently disfigures children. That is child abuse, and it's a crime. It's a crime that needs to be prosecuted. One final note from the article, quote, Finally, in November of 2022, the Florida Boards of Medicine and Osteopathic Medicine voted to adopt a proposed standard of care prohibiting the use of gender-affirming care to address sexual confusion in minor children, with an exception made only for those who are already receiving such regimens. The Florida Medical Board's thorough review of the best available evidence about how to treat gender dysphoria in children was much needed during a time when our nation's most well-known medical association 
Americans have been captured by destructive ideology. States like Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, and Tennessee have also sought to protect children from the lifelong harms caused by dangerous drugs and surgeries through legislation. Now, what we need to do here in Wyoming, my friends, is help push Senator Scott's bill. Let's let's make all of this, quote, gender affirming care a crime that it is. It is child abuse. Now, the other thing that I and, and I don't know that there's any articles, I'm sure that there are written on this subject. But when I was growing up, it was a big deal that we not endanger um, a, a, a child's childhood. You know, we don't want to endanger their innocence. But, you know, if you think back to the Project Veritas piece that I that I played for you earlier, here we have educators that are pushing these very harmful ideas on children who fundamentally don't understand uh, what they're being taught or what they're being shown. We're robbing them of their childhood and their innocence, and it absolutely has to stop. Moving on to... Perhaps a funnier thing. <laughs> well, maybe. It's Nancy Case. From the cow pie this morning, legislator wants to ban letting consumers sell excess solar electricity back to utility companies. Written by Kevin Keogh, who is the state energy reporter for the cow pie. Quote, Senator Kale Case, Nancy Case of Lander has introduced a bill to the Wyoming legislature that would re repeal net metering, which allows people to produce excess electricity from their rooftop solar panels to sell to a utility at a retail rate. Now, essentially, if you put um, if you put solar panels on your home or if you have a windmill and you generate excess electricity, you're allowed to be paid for that that excess electricity. I know of several people across the state that they actually get a check every month and um, just from the energy that they produce with their solar panels. And what Nancy Case is trying to do here is is essentially ban that. Senate File 92 is the bill that Case is pushing would make it so that no utility would be obligated to compensate any small customer generator for electricity they produce with their solar panels. Also, the Wyoming, Wyoming Public Service Commission would determine rates, terms, and conditions that home electricity producers would be compensated for the excess electricity that they sell back to the grid. Case, Nancy, told the Cowboy State Daily he introduced the bill because the state's net metering program pays retail rates for rooftop solar, which are higher than the wholesale rates that large-scale solar firms offer. It's Nancy. He's wanting to take away anything that you could possibly get. We all know this. Quote, there's people who are elderly and live in apartments and they can't avail themselves of the subsidies for solar, Case said. They end up contributing to subsidies for solar. Yeah. So the thing is here is that Nancy Case is a socialist. That's why he, he pushes Medicaid expansion all the time. And here he is trying to bolster up energy companies. Now, I don't know why he's actually doing that because it doesn't really make any sense. Shannon Anderson, who's with, and I would never agree with Shannon Anderson, except in this case, but she's with the Powder River Basin Resource Council. And she basically said that Case is proposing a, a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. You see, net metering accounts for a very, very small percentage of the power in Wyoming. It's less than 1% for retail electric sales in the state of Wyoming. There's about 10 megawatts of net metered capacity in the state. It's really a small percentage, quote, it's really a small percentage of homes and businesses that have solar right now in the state, Anderson said. It's definitely a growing industry, and it has the potential to grow a lot more. But we need that regulatory certainty to be able to do that. So, I'm not again, I'm not exactly sure what Nancy Case is up to with this bill. But in essence, it's going to punish you for putting solar panels on your home and allow energy companies to not have to pay you for the excess electricity that you produce. Quote, Case said, we're underwriting what is, in essence, a poor investment on their part. And he's talking about solar panels that you, you put on your home. Um, for 15 years, he said, they ought to be happy with that and take it. Now, written into Case's bill is a 15-year 15 15-year um, grandfather clause that if if you have solar panels already installed on your home, then this law doesn't apply to you for 15 years. 
Now, what Case is saying here is that wealthier people can afford to put down $20,000 for a solar system and won't pay for it for dec decades. And he thinks that the state is underwriting this right now. Nancy Case is off his rocker, and we ought to kill this bill just as soon as we possibly can. After the break, I've got two more articles for you that I think that you really should pay attention to. And we'll get to them in just a second. This segment of the program is brought to you by 307 Cowboy Country. They are Central and Southeastern Wyoming's full line of Montana shed dealers. So if you're looking for just a backyard shed to put all of your summer lawn equipment in, or maybe you need a greenhouse or a garage, you should give my friends Bryce and Melody Reese a call. Their number is 307 441 1815. So it doesn't matter what type of shed that you're looking for, give Bryce and Melody a call. Again, their number is 307-441-1815. Montana Shed Center, Buildings for Life. Morton Buildings is one of the leading metal building companies in America. They manufacture a lot of their own materials, and they've been doing this longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So it doesn't really matter if you need a garage or a barn or maybe a roping arena so you can do all of that rodeo stuff when it's 23 below zero, or perhaps a giant warehouse for your business. You should give my friends Nick and Jesse a call at 307-674-2532. Just tell them what you're thinking and they'll handle all the details. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. And now, the conclusion to our program. Welcome back, my friends. Now, I forgot about a soundbite that I had prepped for you, um, and I haven't played it yet. But if you listened to Cowboy State Politics Live last week, I told you about a story about how the federal government is talking about banning gas stoves. At this point, I'm sure that just about everybody has heard about it. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous on face, but there's a bigger reason why they're doing it. And in a, I posted on The Blaze this morning, there's a CNN reporter who got caught explaining exactly what their motivation is. Here it is. Help you figure out, you know, or help create the conditions. So that Hold on just a second. So um, the person you're, you're hearing in the beginning is Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin has a podcast on the Blaze Network. So um, this is from his page. So he's going to explain what you're about to hear, um, and then we'll play the soundbite. You can live your life as you see fit. Is that what they're interested in doing? Are they interested in, say, spreading capitalism, which, of course, is the idea that we can all together rise together because of competition and human ingenuity and individual thought and all of that stuff? Is it that what they're pushing on us? Or is it always about taking something away, whether that's your ability to go outside or your right to medical privacy or perhaps even to cook on a simple gas stove? Gas stoves could soon get 86th from kitchens across the country going forward. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commissioner is considering a ban on the appliances for new builds. Uh, it says those appliances can be a source of indoor pollution, sometimes linked to childhood asthma. But also the gas, no gas lines in new construction. Is that about fossil fuels or is it about Sorry, I'm getting in trouble. No, well, no, that's that's short answer. It's about climate change okay. because methane is 80 times more powerful than CO2 when it comes to heating up the planet. Right. So big time. But but in small spaces, it's personal health. OK, okay well, you get it. It has nothing to do about the gas stove. It's all about climate change. If they can reduce the the demand for natural gas then they can reduce the production of it. How ridiculous. And while we're at at sound bites, here's one from Fox News that and I mean, it's Geraldo talking about AR-15s. You know, I always do this and I prep all of these sound bites and then sometimes I miss them and, you know, then I have to go back later. But I found this one this morning. And the reason I bring this up is it seems to me that Fox News has been going a little bit to the left here recently. Now, in this soundbite, you're going to hear that a couple of people give Geraldo some pushback. But still, it's amazing that this comment was actually on the air. Here you go. Eyes, if that's a word, it, it makes makes macho the people who possess it. Oh, look at me. I'm a big it's deal. A rifle. And, and it's it's not a rifle. Yes, it's Greg. a rifle. It's a, it is a machine. What is AR? It is, it is. It is. It is. It is. Automatic rifle. 
No, that's not what it is. Well, I, all I know is that AR-15s have no place in okay. American society other than sport clubs. Okay. And I agree with him on that. I also think, uh, ironically, that we do need uh, more IRS agents if they say we need more. Oh, I'm sure he does think we need a, a lot more of that. I mean, like I said, it's pretty amazing that that's showing up on Fox News. So on Breitbart this morning, there's an article entitled Saudi Arabia Ready to Consider Other Currencies Beside the Dollar for Trade. And it was posted this morning by John Hayward. Now, this is really important for you to pay attention to. And, you know, none of the media is going to be telling you about this simply because they don't want you to. So, quote, Saudi Arabian Finance Minister Mohammed al Jadan said on Tuesday that his government is willing to consider alternatives to the United States dollar for international trade. Saudi Arabia's currency has been pegged to the dollar since 1986. The link was forged after the Arab-Israeli War and the OPEC oil embargo against the United States in the early 70s. The process of reconciliation between the Saudis and the U.S. included a deal for the Saudis to invest their oil profits with the United States Treasury and to price their oil in U.S. dollars on the international market. Okay, so this is, it's, it sounds complicated, but it's really not. So let's, let's say, for instance, that you're Germany and you need oil. Well, you call the Saudis and you say, hey, guys, I need some oil. Well, you don't purchase it with your German money. You trade your German money in for United States dollars, and then you use the dollar to purchase your oil. The U.S. dollar is known as the world's reserve currency. Okay, So almost all international trade is focused on the United States dollar. Now, that's one of the reasons why um, we're able to just print as much money as we can. Well, that, that's going to come to a screeching halt here before too long. But it's one of the reasons why we've been allowed to do that, because we're in charge of international markets. And the biggest market in the, in the world is oil. And if Saudi Arabia decides that they're not going to use United States dollars to uh, trade in oil anymore, that essentially means that the U.S. dollar will not be the world's reserve currency. And what will happen after that is the skids will be put on our money printing. First of all, they absolutely should be, but it's going to have disastrous effects on our economy. I mean, we're talking about depression level events if the dollar is not the world's reserve currency any longer. Back to the article. So when they pegged the price of oil to the United States dollar, it created what was called the petrodollar, from which both Saudi and American economies drew great benefits. The Saudi real, that's their money, formerly married the U.S. dollar in 1986, completing a financial fusion that provided much desired stability to the rather volatile Saudi economy at the time. Decoupling Decoupling the real from the dollar would be a major change for both countries and for the global oil market. Analysts have long considered such a change potentially cataclysmic, but unlikely, especially while Saudis are embarked on Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's Saudi Vision 2030, an ambitious reform agenda to diversify their economy away from petroleum. But the Saudi finance minister said in Davos, that Saudi Arabia is open to considering other currencies. Now, there's other big economies that have moved away from the United States dollar in the past year. One of them is Russia. The other one is China. Hmm. What, what possible benefits could they get from doing that? Well, one possibility is that Saudi Arabia pegs the price of oil to either the Russian ruble or the yuan. Think about the terrifying, the terrifying consequences of that. As I said, it would create cataclysmic problems with the United States economy. And all of this goes back to our money printing. If we continue to print money, uh, the, the dollar will cease to be the wor world's reserve currency. And quite frankly, you can't blame the rest of the world uh, for doing that because we're manipulating our currency at the expense of the entire world. And when you just print trillions and trillions of dollars like we've been doing that it it help it devalues the rest of the economy so basically we're just monkeying around with the world economy and we're thinking that there's not going to be any consequences because the world would never uh, go to a different currency well here you have evidence that saudi arabia is already talking about that and the reason why they are is because they'll make more money 
And when, since and while we're de, you know devaluing our dollar by printing trillions and trillions of uh, of bills, there's no reason why they shouldn't. So what you should do is uh, keep your eyeballs on this and prepare. The way that you can do that is, and I'm a fan of this. Um, I I don't have a lot of money, so I can't buy gold, but I do buy silver, and I I I try to invest in small amounts of silvers. And and the reason for that is like silver and gold coins, they, they resist inflation. Um, you know, for a, an example I use all the time with people is, imagine if you had a gold dollar um, 100 years ago, what could you buy with it? Well, the answer to that is you could probably buy two pretty nice suits. Now, if you had that same gold dollar today, what could you buy with it? Well, you could probably buy two pretty nice suits. You see, it's not the value of gold that's changed. It's the value of the dollar. And the reason why the value of the dollar is changing is we're printing trillions and trillions and trillions of them. And now you have Saudi Arabia saying, yeah, you know, we may just not not trade in, in U.S. dollars anymore. This is something that you need to keep your eyes on, my friends. And I'll, as you know, as I find articles, I'll make sure that I bring them to you. Last article for the day, and Ray Charles could have seen this one coming. Um, but it's from Breitbart also this morning, written by Hannah Bluau. Blue? Blue? Hmm. Anyway, uh, the, the name of the article is Joe Biden Justice Department Fighting to Bring Back Mask Mandates. And this kind of goes, the reason why I wanted to end with this article is it goes hand in hand, sort of, with how we started this, uh, this installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. That, it's, that it is all about power for the left. And if the left can force you to put something on your face, a diaper, mask, or otherwise, um, then they have all of the power that they need. To the article, and I quote, The Biden Justice Department is fighting to reverse the decision which deemed the nationwide mask mandate unlawful, hoping to gain back the power to force individuals to wear masks on public transportation, including planes, once again. In April of 2022, U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell of the Middle District of Florida ruled that the mask mandate, forcing individuals to wear masks on public transportation, was unlawful in nature and concluded that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which issued the original directive January 29th of 2021, was overstepping its authority. The rule required all of all of those two and older, two years and older, to wear masks while in airports and on airplanes, with very few exceptions. Quote, from the judge's order, because our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even, the pursuit, even in the pursuit of desirable ends, the court declares unlawful the, and vacates the mask mandate, Mizell said, sparking freedom for, for millions of travelers. However, Biden's Department of Justice quickly stated its intention to appeal and asked the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit to reinstate the order. Well, of course they did, because it's all about power with them. The three-judge panel recently heard arguments on the appeal, and according to Reuters, much of the arguments in the appeal focus on the CDC's decision to put in place the requirements immediately rather than give the public a chance to comment on the mandate. The extended mask mandate served as yet another broken promise of President Biden, as he originally pitched just 100 days of masking prior to taking office, describing it as a patriotic act. That broken promise comes to no surprise to any of us, and he also broke his vow to not push mandatory vaccines, a move that required a final ruling from the Supreme Court, sparing millions of United States workers from potentially losing their jobs. And so, again, my friends, the reason why I ended with this article is to prove to you that everything the left is doing, free speech, masks, vaccines, or otherwise, is all about power. They'll use free speech to push their agenda. They'll use education to push their agenda. They'll use medicine to push their agenda. It doesn't matter what it is. None of the things that they tell you, none of the reasons they tell you that are behind it are actually true. All of it is about power. And until you understand that that, that is the root of all of this, it's going to be very difficult for any of us to understand why it is that they're doing the, the things that they are. So, for example, Nancy Case and his uh, solar panel thing, that, too, is about power. It's reducing your personal liberty and giving it to the state.
Well, that'll about do it for today's installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. I'm kind of happy that I was able to get through the entire hour without having to cough or sneeze or anything I've been subjected to the past few days. I really appreciate you listening, and we'll we'll talk again on Saturday, where I'm going to have an interview with Senator Tim Salazar, and he's going to be talking about his, uh, his bill to ban chemical abortions. Um, I think it's an incredibly important bill, and so we'll talk to him on Saturday. Remember, you can listen to new new episodes of the program every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And barring me getting the Democrat flu again, we'll be seeing you on Saturday. From the depths of the Middle Swamp in Wyoming's capital of Cheyenne, I'm David Iverson, and this is the one and only Cowboy State Politics.